All right. You ready to go, Reg? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let me just get... Well, somebody's playing with the microphone again. Why is it so... It's like backwards. <laughs> How did it get to be backwards? Okay. That good? How are the levels? Levels looking good. Levels looking good. Very nice, my friend. All right. You got the level set. Now all we have to do is just make sure you hit that button at the right time, and uh, we're golden. All right? Let's get started. Put in the book. Episode 319. All right? Okay. I'll give you the uh, three S's, and I'll give you the countdown. You give me the music, and I'll give you episode 319. Sounds like a pact. All right? <laughs> All right, here we go. Star smile strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We're there. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. But also, you got some heavy lifting to do. So get out there and tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcastic. And it should be theirs, too. Your loyalty and your devotion is much appreciated. Also, if you like what you hear, don't forget, go to WGNRadio.com, press the prompt button for the podcast section, and hit the prompt for this podcast. And there you will find a scrolling, rolling selection. How's that? A scrolling and rolling collection of podcasts. Not just a plethora. Not just a whole bunch. Not just a a boatload. But a scrolling, rolling selection of podcasts for you to delve into and enjoy. Going all the way back to hopefully, if they're back all there. May of 2016. We've done 318 of these. Oh, well, almost, because this is 319. So anything happened in the last time we spoke? <laughs> wow. In the words of Carol King, I feel the earth move under my feet. I feel the sky tumbling down, a tumbling down. Whew. Regardless of what your feelings or opinions or viewpoints are on the abortion issue and on the overturning of the Roe versus Wade decision last Friday, you ha- you, I, I think it's going to be one of those days you remember where you were because uh, that was one of those days when... Everything shook, at least it, I, I felt it, uh, completely out of the blue, even though we did get a precursor that the decision was going to come in June sometime and we got a, a taste at, you know, when this leaked draft of uh, 
Judge Alito's opinion came out about a month or so ago that there was a good chance that the Supreme Court was going to overturn Roe versus Wade, and some people believed it, some didn't, some didn't care. Some thought, well, maybe the release of this draft might have you know, swayed one or two judges when they saw the, the reaction to it. And so uh, uh, this shouldn't have been as shocking as it was, but it is one of those things, I believe, that when something in your life, you know, you, you, may, you may have a sense that something's going to happen. Until it happens, it doesn't really register. I remember, um, and if you haven't had this yet, then I will give you just the, the benefit of my insights as unfortunate and sad as they are but um both of my parents were were not in the best of health physically or mentally toward the end of their deaths and um they didn't die suddenly it was a gradual thing and um and so you think that you are prepared for it perhaps more than you might be if it was a sudden death out of nowhere a stroke or a you know, a heart attack or an accident or something like that where you go, whoa, I mean, one day I woke up and I had no idea in the next minute. You you think that maybe this gradual type of thing might prepare you for something bad. It doesn't have to just be death of a parent, but I, I would equate this to that because what I have found in both of their cases, and they died about uh, 14, 15 months apart too, so it, was, it wasn't a long time in between, really, relatively short. Um. But, um, and I've had friends since then who have lost parents uh, in a similar way with a, with a, with a gradual kind of declining illness. And they too felt like, well, you know, uh, I, I think I'll be ready. And, and, and you think you are until it happens, until the actual event happens. And, and what I have always told people is, uh, just feel what you're feeling. Because you're never prepared, and you think you are, and that's deceptive. But uh, <laughs> but when the moment comes uh, and reality really hits, uh, it, it it jolts you nonetheless. And I think that's the way this was for many people um, on Friday, June twenty fourth. And for many people, that will be, that will be a date many people remember, uh, just like November twenty second, where JFK was assassinated. I wasn't born that, so people asked me where was I and I said, well, I wasn't anywhere. But <laughs> November 22nd, 1963, I wasn't anywhere. Well, I was actually somewhere, but I wasn't born. <laughs> but um but wow, what what a uh, you know, for most of, I mean, my entire lifetime certainly, uh at least my my cognizant lifetime of what I can understand when I came to be to be awareness, I was born before 1973 when the, the, the Roe versus Wade decision came down, but I was very young. Um, so for most of my life, um, and certainly my my life of being aware of being a person in our society, abortion has been a legal constitutional right and suddenly um immediately it wasn't and i equate this once again um 
to the shock value of it for for many people, myself included. Uh, uh, You could look at it that it happened within the last month that perhaps uh, there was a really good chance that this could happen. And you can argue in retrospect that for the last 50 years, almost 50 years, since the Roe versus Wade decision came down, where the Supreme Court at that time in 1973 um, proclaimed that uh, the right to have an abortion fell under the, the act of privacy, which is stated in the U.S. Constitution, um, propo- opponents, opponents of abortion made it their singular cause to have that overturned, whether it was deeply held religious feelings or deeply held humanistic feelings, whatever was the motivation, there was a uh, a very determined and over the years growing number of people who were dedicated to getting that case overturned to effectively, in, in, in many ways, make abortion illegal. Now, we should also say that the decision that the Supreme Court made last week on June 24th does not ban abor- abortion in the United States, does not make it illegal in the United States completely, right now at least. But uh, within the next year, between these uh, many states that had immediate or somewhat delayed so-called trigger laws, which if, if in effect, if in fact the Supreme Court had ever overturned Roe the way these laws were written, if Roe was ever overturned, then these laws would go into effect either immediately right after the, the overturning or there may have been a grace period of a month or 90 days or six months, whatever was written in, in, in each individual state's law. But by, when, when the smoke, when the dust clears in six months, perhaps, uh, there's a good chance that, that more than half of the states in the United States will have some kind of ban or heavy restriction outright ban, or certainly a, a very heavy restriction, much more than they ever had before, against abortion. More than half. They, they, there's an estimate that at least 26 out of the 50 states will have that. And so that is a, that's a huge change in, in life in America. And re, once again, regardless of whatever your your views are on abortion and once again i understand this is a a tinderbox issue this is very sensitive and in many ways it it cuts and the reason why is because in many ways it cuts right to uh, an individual's uh, you know core beliefs one way or the other and 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 for and some for some people it's not even clear cut some people may be in favor of abortion or the right to have an abortion for as as a right but may be against it themselves. They would never have one, but they see and understand 
and feel that the right to have one should exist, while others are very definite that there should be no abortions of any kind. And certainly there are others that believe that even if they're against abortion, there may be some some possible exceptions, like if a woman or especially a child uh, is, is raped or molested or, or some kind of um, you know incest, that they shouldn't be forced to carry uh, the, a, a child that is, is, is born out of a crime necessarily. So this is a very complex issue. And I am not even going to begin to get into what what I believe is right and wrong. I, I will just say, and because I don't know if it's not unfair. It's, it's unfair for me to say what's right or wrong. Uh, I think, uh, but I will say at the outset that I'm certainly I am certainly pro-choice. So. Whatever that enta- whatever that means to you, that's where I am. I'm not going to get into details or why or what or hows. So I preface that. Uh, I preface my 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 comments and my my opinions or whatever I'm going to be talking about here today, being honest with you there to say that I am certainly pro-choice. Um, but at the same time, I I'm, I always try to look at things especially on this podcast, as I say, I try to come up with with ideas or ways to talk about an issue that perhaps don't always get d- d- discussed. And as I've said many times, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, what I always try to do is is look at things from a very realistic standpoint. I am a realist. I'm not a pessimist. I consider myself in many ways an optimistic realist, but I always fall more on the side of realism because that is what really happens. And in this case, I think while this is this is a this is a hot issue. This is an emotional issue. This is a tinderbox issue that can go up in smoke because it is so emotionally tied. It's tied to who we are as people, right? I mean, aren't we, our genetic code is about, uh, you know, survival of the fittest or survival, right? Procreation. But at the same time, uh, we live in a country that is founded on, at least ideologically, theoretically, on freedom and liberty. And freedom of choice. And so in the case of abortion, the reason why this, this topic is is so emotionally charged and, and and so divisive, and especially in today's world, we were all we you know, I mean, the irony here is that in the middle of the uh, the perhaps one of the most divisive times in our country's history. And I wouldn't say the most divisive time because I think that that's overstating things. 
whenever whenever we're involved, we always think it's the most right. We always our narcissism always comes into play, and all, whenever whenever whatever happens in our lifetime is the most or the greatest thing, and that's not necessarily true. It is from our viewpoint because we weren't around before, and we're not. We don't know what's going to happen when we're gone. So it has to be in our minds, and as I said, as, as in our in our human narcissistic way. Uh, oh, well, this has to be the most important thing on earth. Don't forget, there were people 2,000 years ago. I mean, the, the Bible is written on it uh, that, uh, you know, felt that the the earth was ending soon, right? Isn't the, That's what the book of Revelation and the Bible is all about. So 2,000 years ago, people were feeling that the earth was about, to, you know, that, 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 that humanity was in such a bad uh, state that uh, the world would soon be ending, that God was going to end it all, the world was going to be over in their lifetime because it was important to them. They were living. And 2,000 years later, we realize how silly that is until we think about ourselves in our own lifetime and we think that uh, you know the greatest band in history is the Beatles. Everything that happens in our time is the most important and the greatest thing in history. Well, in our history. And what we all will, we, what we will find soon is that our history will, like all the histories before us, will go down uh, into dust and be long forgotten. And uh, sorry to sound so pessimistic, but as I said, I'm a realist. I'm a realist. And that's the truth, aside from some key events and maybe some key people. Of all the people that have lived in this world, going back to the times of ancient Rome and the Egyptians, of all the people that have lived over the last 5,000 years or whatever it might be, how many do you really know of? People lived lives every day. There were things that happened. There were there were there were impactful and influential things that happened, but they all they all faded from history, as we will. Some things will stick around. We know about Mozart, right? We know about some of the Egyptian pharaohs. We have the stories of the Bible. We know about the Roman Empire because of the artifacts that we have found, but we don't really remember everything that happened day after day after day. So, yes, there's no question. As I said before, in my lifetime, this is certainly one of the biggest societal shifts. And um, But it's... At the end of the day, um, 50 years from now, it, it may be a blip. Who knows? But right now, wow, there was a seismic shift in, in the way that uh, we live our lives and what will happen. So as I said before, I, this is, I know this is a very emotional uh, and divisive issue. As I said before, in a time when... <laughs> We've already been divided over the last decade or so, if not more, really. It's been going on for much longer. It's not just the last five or six years or even ten years. We've been we've been slowly dividing, being less communal. And I've always talked about this. I mean, there's no question. You can make an argument that the, the Internet 
started the whole thing in in a, in a impactful way. Have we ever really been the United States of America? We weren't even found when we were founded. We weren't even united. <laughs> Think about that, right? I mean, when we were founded, we were not the United States of America. We had you re, when you read the Constitution, it has flowing, flowery, aspirational, and inspirational um, language, but uh, it was mostly that. It was not based in the reality of the time. It was high-minded ideology. Which is, which in many ways is what's ruling right now. But it, the United States was 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 we the people, and and yet, uh, and you know the pursuit of happiness, and all men are created equal. But women did not have rights; couldn't vote. This was the great democracy, and and half the population wasn't allowed to participate in it. And then, of course, at the same time, not only were women excluded from the great experiment, from this great democracy of all men being created equal, but then we had this little thing called slavery going on, well, on which the country was based on, half the country at least, certainly a third of it, legalized slavery people being owned by others, no rights, literally in the Constitution, in, you know, uh, people were were valued, slaves were valued at three-fifths of a person in terms of counting for, you know, population, but the founders of our country literally put a numeric amount on a slave's life. And it wasn't 100%. It was three-fifths of a person. Now, look, I love America. I'm a very proud citizen of America, but we have to be realists. We have to realize that our country is is filled with hypocrisy from its founding. And you could say that it was, as I said before, aspirational. But it was a it was a it was a country and it was a constitution. It was a revolution that was founded ultimately on compromise. That's what the Constitution was. It was compromise. You, you, it had to be. Because you, you had a major conflict within it. One side of the Constitution is talking about freedom and liberty. And the next one is allowing slavery to exist within that same system. And the truth of the matter was the, 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 the southern states would not have gone along with this idea of a, of a country called the United States if slavery was outlawed. So we had compromise right from the get-go. We were founded on compromise. That's what's so frustrating in today's world is that we are, there is no room for compromise 
even in this decision, it is not gradual. It is black and white. In many states, it is illegal to have an abortion. No questions asked. Uh, Whether it is incest, rape, health of the mother, doesn't matter. Baby must be brought to term. That that kind of 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 strict adhere, you know. Adhere, adhesion? I don't even know what the word is. Uh, <laughs> that strict doctrine did not exist, even in our Constitution. We were based on compromise. We were able to, whether it does seem contradictory, we, we were based and founded on compromise. We, we were looking to have a country based on freedom and liberty, but we also allowed slavery at the same time. Now, you know, a hundred years later or so, almost a hundred years later, we abolished slavery. But in 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 theory, and you know, when we look at June, the June uh, Juneteenth holiday that that recently was celebrated, even that didn't happen overnight. The whole idea of Juneteenth is that on June 19th, two years later, after the Emancipation Proclamation, slavery was officially ended in this country, where slaves in Texas were finally informed that they were free. Two years after slaves in other other states were were freed. So even then, when, when when that was signed, it was not immediate. It was gradual whether it was deliberate or not. <laughs> but this was very abrupt. As I said, in six or seven states, within hours, abortion was deemed illegal in, in many states. And women who had appointments for an abortion that day, that Friday, were turned away. So, uh, you know, as I said before, a major shift in, in one day, in a matter of hours, in a matter of minutes, people that one at one moment, uh, what was once legal was suddenly illegal, and it happened that fast. Yes, there were hints of this. As I said before, we had an idea that this might happen, but until it happens, it's not official, and until it happens, it doesn't really hit us. Until you realize that you can't do something you used to do just minutes before. Or something that existed is suddenly gone. Something that existed just minutes before is suddenly gone. And that takes time. And that, I think, is what is also kind of shocking about this. And and you saw the reactions of this uh, on Friday after. because, Because of these trigger laws especially. But also people looking at the bigger picture of what it would mean. And so what I, what, from my viewpoint, um, I try to look at things, once again, from a very realistic standpoint. And, I, and, and, and so uh, while I certainly have my, my, my personal views on it, I also, if I, as I always try to do, 
is I try to see both sides of an argument. I always try to play devil's advocate for another side that may be in complete opposition to what I feel. And for some, and and in today's world, um, being the devil's advocate is is not um, an attribute that many people are looking for or consider good. Because we are, we are so black and white in this country today. I've always seen gray. I, have very ha- I have always have very strong opinions. I, I feel strongly about what I believe, and I will defend it. But I also try to see the other side and, and at times try to learn, or at least at the very least, understand where someone is coming from. So even if I even if I vehemently disagree with their viewpoint, at least I try to have some sense of understanding to say I I understand where you're coming from. I don't agree with you. I wish we I wish as a country we at least had that. But today, as I said before, the internet led to social media. So you could argue that in the mid nineties when the inter- when the internet started that you know we were looking at maybe you know the beginning of cell phones or people are even looking even shorter oh we haven't been divided since the time you know since Donald Trump took over well i that 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 to me is very short-sighted and and uh and just very biased there was there was we were divided in this country long before Donald Trump took over we were divided in this country when Barack Obama was president. We were divided in this country when George Bush uh, was president, the second one. We were divided in this country when Ronald Reagan took place. That was in 19, uh, 1980, 1981 when he became president. We've been divided in this country uh, long, even before that. Not perhaps as much. You could probably really, you could probably really look to Vietnam in the late to mid-60s, that which went on into the mid-70s, when, when real, the first real divide went on. But then you could look before that, and you could say, well, where, where were we at on, on civil rights? We, we, the United States of America it was a very good PR slogan, as I said before. <laughs> For the founding fathers, it was, a, it was an impressive-sounding slogan for what they were doing. They were trying something different. In a world at that time, in in the the 1700s, where most of the world was still run by monarchies or theocracies or dictators, whatever you want to call them, but they were, most countries were run by single figureheads, single people who at the end of the day called the shots. Certainly they had governmental institutions, but many of the final decisions were in the hands of one person who made that decision. And there's no question that the founding fathers were, were, were trying to do something new and different, as I said before, inspirational and aspirational. And so the term United States of America, even though it really didn't correctly reflect what was happening in this country. It may have been hypocritical from the first start. 
I believe that the term United States was put in there as an aspirational goal. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are filled with aspiration. It's written in a very declaratory, is that the right word? In a very definite way of saying this is it. There shall be no, there shall be no, almost like the Ten Commandments. But behind that all was more of a hope than a certainty. This idea of the country was completely new. It was based on governments and democracies and republics of the past, Greeks and Romans. But then it had its own spin as well. And the checks and balances that are built into the system were were there in reaction to what was happening at the time. It was a reaction to the monarchies and the tyrannies and the dictators and the absolute power held by few. The goal was for him to be power to be held by many and checks and balances and, and the will of the people would rule the day through representative government. Not necessarily majority rule. There's always a little... You know, misunderstanding on that, too. It's not always about majority rule. We always think it is. But as I said, the Constitution is a very complex and aspirational document, and it's not perfect. That's why we have amendments to it. Right off the bat, we had 10 Bill of Rights that were not in the original. And we've had many amendments since then. But as we sit here today in 2022, we have to take a look at what we, where we're going and who we are and and how do we remain aspirational. We have been ununited in this country for a long time. And as I said before, the great irony is that as, as we have been so divided, so obviously divided, divided, we've always, we've been divided for a long time. Um, we've tried to play it down and we've tried to to cover it up. But we've been divided for a long time. I would say the, the, the last time that we haven't been, that we've been truly United States was probably during World War II. And I wasn't around then. So I don't know what it was like to live day by day. I'm sure there were some people, that, well, obviously there were some people against the war then, but certainly as a country, as a people, we did band together in World War II. We made sacrifices for the larger good, and uh, and I don't know if we would ever be able to do that again, and if we did, uh, it would seem like it's mostly short-lived. Don't forget, World War II was about you know four years of our involvement. Uh, we were we were united for a while during 
the days after 9-11. But that soon faded. That didn't, that didn't unite. That happened at the beginning of this, of this century. And here we are, the most divided we've ever been in recent history. And yet we had this galvanizing, united event just 20 years ago when the whole country and the world was on our side. And we personally, as a country, banded together and felt united. And that faded away fairly quickly. And here we are 20 years later and 9-11 and the unity that we had around 9-11 in those days and months and even a couple of years before that. Because quickly after 9-11, when we got involved in Iran, we were divided whether we should be in Iran or not. And that, so, that, so it was very short-lived. So we've been a divided country for a while, not just because of Donald Trump. Once again, I'm not a Donald Trump fan. But there's, there's so much just blanket... Uh, you know, hatred for Donald Trump, which to me, in a lot of ways, is a lot of deflection for people that don't want to admit that we've been divided for a longer time. He's a he's a it's a convenient scapegoat. He didn't do himself any favors, but I I don't believe that he was the great divider of this country. We've been divided for a while. We were just putting a lot of spackle on it for a while, for decades. For many decades, and now the the spackle is, has not only chipped away, but those original cracks that we use the spackle on are not only showing, but they're getting they're getting wider. And this decision last Friday certainly, if there was any spackle left, it it, it fell off completely, and now the cracks are showing and the cracks under the spackle were getting bigger and uh, now they are being completely exposed it's going to be a very interesting time in the next 20 years in this country and you, you we have to look at it that way not being pessimistic being realistic for the first time in many of people's lives, we have to begin to play the long game. When I heard about the, the overturning of Roe, my first reaction was not disgust or anger. It was, why are you so surprised? I don't, even though I am pro-choice, I don't blame the pro-life movement for what happened on June 24th. I don't blame Donald Trump for his naming of three conservative justices that led to this overturning. I don't blame Mitch McConnell, who also played a role, really, probably starting the beginning of this by holding off a judicial appointment during Barack Obama's last year in office. I don't blame the Supreme Court justices that came down with this decision. They're certainly all contributing factors. 
But as I said before, we live in a democracy where where people and our government is is working with a set of rules in a democratic and representative government. And the fact of the matter is that those people, whether they are religious zealots or uh, strict constitutional uh, adherent, uh, it, 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 it adhere to a strict interpretation of the Constitution, or whether they were people that were just trying to get elected and 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 change their viewpoints to to make favor with a large enthusiastic group that voted, and you can argue that's what John, Donald Trump did. Whatever that is, those are those are contributing factors, no question. But what was really behind the overturning of Roe was the group of people. It was democracy in action. I know for some people that almost sounds hard to digest, or they completely dis- and they'll, they'll completely dismiss what I'm saying. But no. There were people in this country that did not agree with the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973, and they banded together to make their voice and their opinions known. That is democracy. Even if it doesn't fall into what you believe, the fact of the matter is the anti-abortion movement played within the rules. They played within the system. Now, granted, yes, they may have manipulated the system in some ways when they were in power. I'm not absolving everybody, but my point is that they they went about it within our system. There was no war. There has been violence, don't get me wrong. There's been violence, sadly, on the abortion front. People have been killed. Abortion clinics have been blown up. Um, both sides are not, without, are not without guilt in this abortion issue over the last 50 years. Both sides have done violence. But... Ultimately, this was changed within our system. The difference is that the anti-abortion movement played the long game. We in America are not good at playing the long game. But for many people who are are pro-abortion, and who have not been thinking in playing the, in, in their in in the political world, thinking about the long game, they've got a rude awakening that the long game ultimately does prevail. But we have always been, certainly in the last hundred or so years, we have had we now we have a ridiculously short attention span, but we are. We look for temporary and fast satisfaction. We're always looking for fast solutions, fast ends, 
that's what that's what you know that's why we're still COVID is still around folks we're people are still you know right now we're in the midst of of levels going up again in many people's minds well I'm tired of COVID it's only been two years that that's not a long time but but people were 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 tired of COVID after two months if you remember back in 2020 people didn't want to wear masks or or you know you know Donald Trump was saying that COVID would be done by Easter and the first COVID cases were, were popping up in, you know, real, in some real numbers, you know, in late February, early March. And he was saying by April, it's going to be gone. Don't even worry about it. We are a fast-consuming, short-term society, and it's to our detriment. Look at our, look at, look at our, in business. A company's health, if you will, their balance sheet is examined by quarters every four months. Or I'm sorry, every every three months. Every three months. They have a report card. Oh, I don't care what you did last year. I don't care what you did over the last 10 years. What did you do in the last three months? What did you do in the fourth quarter? What did you do in the third quarter? That's how they are determined. A, com- a company could have been, have been doing great over the last five years, but if they've had two or three quarters that have been down, the CEO gets fired. Regardless of what he may have done or he or she may have done in the last five or six or ten years, it's always about now, and it's, it's always short. And what we're learning the hard way is that the long game may not bring instant gratification, but the long game in many ways does wind up coming out in front. 40, almost 50 years, 49 years. Many people who started this fight again to, to uh, have abortion outlawed are no longer here. But that's not what they worried about. They didn't worry about them being here. They worried about the end game. Most people want an ending or a solution to happen on their timetable so that they can experience it. And that's why we have so many problems that still exist because we're always trying to shortcut the solutions and we never get down to the nitty-gritty. And so we are still fighting and trying to solve many of the same problems that we've had in this country for hundreds of years because we're not honest with ourselves on what the root causes are, and so there are always temporary solutions. Perfect example, 9-11. I mentioned it before. The Taliban was around in Afghanistan during 9-11, right? Who's running Afghanistan today, 20 years later? It's not us. We invested billions of dollars over the last 20 years. Hundreds of thousands of lives lost in fighting a war in Afghanistan. Billions of dollars spent, lives lost. Taliban, 20 years later, still in power. They weren't for a while, but ultimately they are now. 
the long game. They knew. They don't have a timetable. The Taliban didn't have a timetable. They just knew that they wanted to and were going to rule Afghanistan again. If in the terrorist minds, in, in the terrorist world, and thankfully we're not seeing much, you know, ultimate terrorism like we were, you know, ten or fifteen years ago, but they're they're not worried. They're 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 not worried about taking over the world in the next ten years. They don't. They it could happen in the next two hundred years as long as it happens. We're looking at Ukraine right now with Putin. We'll see. Right now it's being defined as Putin's war, but really, is it? Or is it Russia's war? Will they wait it out? They learned a lesson in Afghanistan, too, that was the Afghans waited out Russia to the point where it probably bankrupted them enough that that's why communism fell. The long game, it doesn't provide instant gratification. Nowhere close. But it does provide results. And so here we are. In 2022, 50 years later, whether you agree with them or not, you must acknowledge what the pro-life movement did. They played the long game. They played the system. They remained vigilant. They remained focused. The anti or the pro life or the pro, I'm sorry, I always get these mixed up. The pro choice world became complacent. Well, we have the right. It's in the Constitution. No one's going to ever overturn Roe. Let those people go with all their craziness and all their speeches and let them, you know, elect all these right wings. You know, these right-wing candidates, and let them do all their signs and all that stuff, but we've got the right. It's in the Constitution, so let's move on. From day one, there was, in the 1973, there was great controversy about Roe versus Wade, and those who really knew about it knew that the right to an abortion in our Constitution was a fragile right. It was, it was bestowed by a Supreme Court ruling, but that ruling was even questioned by legal scholars who were pro-abortion. They, they appreciated the right. They felt that, that women had a choice and had the right to what happens to their bodies, but from a legal standpoint, even someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg who is the patron saint of the far left, acknowledged that from a legal standpoint, the decision of the Supreme Court in 1973 was was questionable law that may have been judicial activism. Even though she agreed with the right and was glad that they did it, she also had to acknowledge from a realistic standpoint, and this is what I'm always saying, not ideologically, but realistically, she even, as much of a, of, a, of, a, of a supporter of women's rights her whole life, she did have to acknowledge on several occasions over the last 30 years that the legal founding 
of the original Roe versus Wade judgment was questionable, and we've always been afraid, or, or there's a, it's always been a question of how fragile that right is. But the the far left, or forget about party affiliations, those who were pro-choice took it for granted. They, they took their eyes off the ball. We've got the right, so we can worry about other things. Meanwhile, the pro-lifers never gave up the fight. You, you, whether you agree with them, whether you intellectually or personally despise them, I don't care about that. You must acknowledge what they did as a group. They were committed to their views. They were focused. They were organized. They were passionate. They were energetic. And they played the long game. And they played the long game within the system. So now, what the other side is going to have to do is reawaken. The next 15 years, like I said, you have to look at this now in, in, in a 20-year, this isn't going to happen overnight. I know President Biden says, go vote and we'll be able to codify Roe in law. That's not going to happen for 20 years. We are a divided country. Right now, the Senate is 50-50. The only reason the Democrats have uh, the, the voting power is because the vice president can cast the deciding vote. You saw what happened with President Biden's uh, you know, big plan. Two Democrats went to said no and that's killed it. We are divided as ever. The midterms come and, and people are saying, oh, there's going to be a great wave one way or the other and now that this, you know, this, this may energize Democrats, but we are so split that I would not be surprised at the end of the day that, yes, there may be a little more because of the, the economy and everything, inflation and, and other things, that people are finding it hard to get make ends meet. There may be some Republican gains in the House, but I, I, I guarantee you that the, the, the Senate is not going to shift all that much. Right now, the Senate is very representative of who this country is. There's there's a hundred senators, two from each state, and we're at fifty fifty. And I wouldn't be surprised if we fall right at that same number, or maybe one or two seats, one way or the other. But there's not going to be any vast majorities happening here for a long time. But what we're also going to have to deal with. And I've talked about this many times. The implications of this decision are going to be devastating in many ways. And this is what I said before. Ideologically or legally, if you read through, and I haven't read it page for page, but I've certainly read enough of what's been 
the key passages of Judge Alito's opinion, decision on overturning Roe, from a legal standpoint, purely legal, it sounds very reasonable and intellectually logical of what he is saying. Basically, what Alito is saying and, 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 the, and the basis for the overturning of Roe is that the previous court overstepped, it, overstepped its bounds by, by allowing abortion to fall under a vague umbrella of privacy, which is not enumerated, which is not said definitely in the Constitution. And they expanded the term of privacy to include a woman's choice over her body. And you can argue that one way or the other, I think. But what Alito basically is saying is that in the midst of this in 1973, many states, at that time, 46 states, people don't really, you know, this has been 50 years but I've done a little research on this. 46 states, when, when Roe went into effect, 46 states banned abortion. 46 out of 50 states banned abortion. We weren't a, a pro-choice country by any means. We were still a very religious-based country in many ways 50 years ago. Things were changing, but many of the laws were still based on religious affiliations or viewpoints. Abortion was was outlawed or at least restricted in some way in 46 of the 50 states. So imagine that. You think there was a jolt now? In 46 of the 50 states, suddenly... What was illegal was legal. So I'm sure there was quite a jolt on that side. And maybe that's what energized the pro-life movement. No one's really talking about that jolt. No one's really talking about how that felt at that time. Clearly, it, it, it jolted many people with either deep religious views or hum, 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 Humanistic views. 46 out of 50. We're, we're, we're complaining right now that 26 out of 50 may have, uh, you know, ban or at least have very tight regulations on abortions when, when all is said and done here in the next five or six months. But at the time of Roe versus Wade, when Roe versus Wade said abortions are legal, 46 states either had tight restrictions or banned abortions completely. So there had to be a jolt there. And what did those people and the people that got jolted decided to band together and put democracy in action? Once again, I might not agree with their viewpoints, but I must give them credit for what they did. Now the onus is on those who were jolted this week are you going to sit down and just complain and, and, and write on social media, or are you going to do what the pro-life contingent did? Was get organized, band together, 
and play the long game and play within the system. As I said, there were some, there were some fast and uh, uh, you know and flighty little things here for this to have happened. You can argue, oh my gosh, in the last five years, this whole thing changed. You know, uh, Mitch McConnell played games with the with the Obama appointment, and then and then um, and they rushed in the, the the final one during Trump's last uh, uh, last months of Trump's terms, and he got one in the middle when 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 Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Oh, this all happened so fast. I can make an argument on the other side. Once again, devil's advocate, trying to see both sides. If I was religious, deeply religious, and had these really deep religious, you know, Bible-held views, then I would say, well, wait a minute. Well, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's, there's gay marriage, and there's all these other things that came out of nowhere very quickly. Now, once again, I'm, I'm in favor of those. But if I wasn't, I would say, whoa, what's going on? So now, the other side is getting a jolt. The question is, what do you do? The onus now is on the pro-choice people. Are they going to step up to the challenge? Because they dropped the ball. They took their eyes off the prize. They just got complacent and assumed that things would always go their way, and now they're not. So are you going to sulk, or are you going to try to change that law, which the pro-lifers did? They played within the system. First, they decided, well, we, should, we need to um, you know, elect you know, presidents, and, and senators and, and representatives who are pro-life. But this was such a divided issue that there would never be enough votes. And so they realized that the only way, true way, to change this law was not through politicians because politicians are so, they're, they're, they don't have any allegiance. They have a allegiance to one thing, getting reelected. They don't have any allegiance to any real beliefs. They will be on your side until you don't do them any good, and then they will go to the other side. All they're worried about is getting reelected, and you better understand that. There's a few, don't get me wrong, who may be truly committed, but most politicians are looking to get reelected and keep power. And they get really good at one thing, not passing bills, not passing laws, not helping people all that much, but they do a really good job of getting reelected because that's what they're focused on. So the pro-lifers said, you know, we've gotten burned by too many presidents and too many senators and too many representatives that said, oh, well, we're going we're gonna to change that law. We voted for you guys in block numbers throughout the last 40 or 50 years and didn't do anything. So we are going to go over your heads and go where the real power is, the ones who changed it in the first place. We need to get conservative judges who believe what we do. And so how are we going to do that? And as I said, Democrats or pro-choicers, this should not have come as a shock to you. Whether you liked Hillary Clinton or not in 2016, whether you liked her pantsuits, whether you didn't like the way her voice sounded when she screamed or talked loud and all these other picky things, it was very clear 
in the campaign in 2016. Donald Trump, do not be mad at Donald Trump. Donald Trump did exactly what he said he was going to do. And if you weren't paying attention, then shame on you. Because, and even though, and even if he didn't believe it, he courted the people that did. And he used, and even if he used them to get elected, then that's the way the game works. So play the game. Donald Trump in the election, during the debates, was very clear that he was pro-life and that if he was president, he was going to nominate pro-life judges with the end goal to overturn Roe. He said that. He even put out a list of the potential people that he would nominate for the Supreme Court, and they were all pro-life, conservative, constitutionally adherent justices. This was nothing that was done under, under the, the cloak of darkness or behind closed doors. He made it very clear. And Hillary Clinton, who ran a horrible campaign and should have seized on that and, if, and should have just made it her sole issue, really, but she didn't because she was very complacent and elitist and figured this guy can't beat me in a million years and ran, ran a horrible campaign. And once again, I don't want to hear about, oh, well, she got more popular votes than Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton knew about the Electoral College. It's been around since the country did. That's the way the president is elected. Hillary Clinton is a smart woman, and she's a lawyer, and she's a politician, and she knows. And her husband got elected twice because of the Electoral College. So she knew about the Electoral College, and she knew about how it adds up and where it adds up and how the numbers add up. But she didn't care. She didn't pay attention to that because she thought she was going to win in a landslide. And Donald Trump ran a campaign where he keyed in on some states that could swing the Electoral College. If you know the rules, play by the rules. That's where the Democrats get in trouble. They, 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 they get outsmarted by the system. Republicans know the game and play the game. And that's why they win most of the time. Yeah, Donald Trump lost the popular vote, didn't matter, won the election. Then afterwards, all these Democrats were screaming, go get rid of the Electoral College. Okay, fine, get rid of it, but you can't do it in the middle. You knew the rules. Same thing here. If you did not vote in the 2016 election because you didn't like Hillary Clinton, so you didn't vote at all because you didn't want to vote for Donald Trump, so you just stayed home, or if you didn't vote for Hillary Clinton and you voted for the Green candidate, you went and voted, but then you voted for a third-party candidate didn't have a, a chance in heck of winning, then don't blame Donald Trump. Don't blame the pro-life movement. Don't blame the Supreme Court. Don't blame Mitch McConnell. Blame yourself. If, you had, if, 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 if abortion rights were so important for all the people that were out in the streets on Friday screaming and crying and protesting this, if none of you voted, or if you didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, then that's all just for naught. Hillary Clinton should have beat Donald Trump in the Electoral College by a landslide, by the, by the popular vote by a landslide. Women alone should have all banded together, especially on the Democratic side or any side. If you cared about abortion rights, whatever, what side you are politically. 
If you cared about abortion rights, it was clear that Donald Trump was going to name conservative judges. And we all were, and we knew at this time that there were several judges that were old in age. We knew uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's um, uh, uh, health was bad. The writing was on the wall. But Democrats were not focused. They were complacent. They were not organized. They were not focused. Oh, well, we have that right. They'll never overturn Roe. It was done in the light of daylight, not behind the scenes. So on the day that that was overturned, I looked around and said, this should be no surprise, folks. And if you sat out in 2016 or you voted for the Green Party or some other third, fourth, or fifth party or just didn't vote, and if abortion, even if everything about Hillary you detested, the one thing, if, if abortion rights were this important to you, like we're seeing now, all the protests, if they were that important to you, you should have put all the rest aside and voted for Hillary Clinton because that's what the pro-lifers did. They didn't like Donald Trump. They didn't like half the Republican presidents and, 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 and people they voted for the last 50 years. But those people said, I'm on your side. And so they put aside all the other misgivings they had because they had one singular goal. And that's what Democrats are going to have to do now. They, better, they, they have to vote on issues. And if it's one singular goal or one issue, then that's it. And, if it, and if you, in your life, if abortion rights are important to you, then you, from now on, better put all your other misgivings and all your personal picadillos and, oh, I don't like the way Hillary's hair looks or I don't like the way pants she wears and all this other BS. Because Hillary, if Hillary Clinton wins, Friday doesn't happen. It's that simple. And that's the God's honest truth. That's reality. There would not have been three conservative new conservative justices that would have been able to overturn this. It was a five to four vote. Hillary Clinton would have named three pro-lifers. I mean, I'm sorry, pro-choicers. Once again, I always get these. (laughs) She would have named three pro-choice justices and Roe would still be intact today. So look in the mirror. Don't blame Donald Trump. Don't blame the, the Supreme Court. Don't blame Mitch McConnell. Don't blame the pro-life movement. It's time to look in the deep, dark, truthful mirror and face reality. And if you didn't vote, or you didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, and you, were, and you are pro-choice, then look at yourself. And as I said, you know, the thing about... Abortion, too, is, is that it's such a, a tinderbox issue that, you know, maybe, I mean, we, certainly we live, in a, we live in a country of laws, and so we want to have good laws on the books, right? And for many people's views, and I said, even pro-choice people, pro-choice legal scholars were all very tentative, many of them many high-profile ones, about the real legality of Roe versus Wade, that there, may, there, there, that, that there really was some judicial activism going on here, reading too much into it in order to pass a law. And you know what? Here's the thing. 
as I said, you have to look at 20 years now for, for something to really change on this. I mean, Roe is gone. It is, it is finished. There's no, there's no do-overs here, folks. This, the laws are going into effect here, and this is going to affect real people in a real way. And sadly, we're going to start to hear in the months and years that go by, we are going to hear some horrible stories, which might help to coalesce people if they want to change this back and make abortion legal. But we're going to hear, we are, we, there are ramifications. This is the other side about reality. While I give the pro-life vo- movement, uh, you know, credit for what they did, I also believe that while I respect their religious beliefs, once again, in reality, the real consequences and ramifications of this outlawing of abortion is going to lead to some really horrible stories and real human tragedies that don't exist today. And that is going to happen. While in theory, it would be great that every baby that's conceived is born into a loving family, but the reality, once again, I'm bringing up reality, The reality is that's not the way a lot of children are brought into this world. Even today, with, um, until before last Friday, even though for the last 50 years, we have seen the abuses that some kids have gone through within their own families or within foster families. We have seen the neglect. Yes, it would be great. In theory, that every child that was born was loved and put into a, a, a was born into a loving family, and children were running in the park. Oh, that 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 sounds great, but it's not realistic. And we're going to start to hear some real, real sad stories—stories stories that we haven't heard of in a long time. And those same people who wanted to legalize abortion or to to outlaw abortion, they better not vote against candidates that, that then want to raise taxes to support Medicaid or Medi- you know for for families or or adoption services or foster or or anything that people need because there are going to be if you are forcing people to have a baby then you have to you have to make a, a, you know uh, make plans for when that baby's born. It's not you, you can't walk away from it just when it's born. You can't say, "Well, at least we got another baby born." No, no, no. We've seen what neglect does. Yes, there are many kids in this country that are born into loving families, no question. But there are also a lot of kids that are unwanted or neglected, or they cannot be financially taken care of, and the baby is born anyway. And those are the ones who become troubled for themselves and a trouble on society in terms of crime and other things. There are and will be consequences to this. And what we're not thinking about, we're all everybody's thinking about the life of the child. And I understand that, but 
I think very few people are, are thinking about the emotional state of a mother, of a woman, who will be forced to carry a baby that she doesn't want. What will that do to her emotionally? Whether, it's, whether it is conceived not out of some illegal thing like rape or incest, but let's be honest. It's, it's kind of easy to have a baby. And a lot of people are not responsible in the heat of the moment, if you know what I mean. Yes, it would be great if there was no need for abortion. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not, the, that's not reality. People are getting pregnant every day when they don't want to. They get caught in the heat of the moment or whatever it might be. And here's the other side. What's ironic is I, would, I don't have any specific data on this, but I would just say if you're a conservative or if you're, you're of the religious bent... If you are against abortion, many of these same states that are anti-abortion also don't want sex education to be taught in schools. So we don't want kids to know about sex, but if they have sex and a woman gets pregnant, we want them to have the baby. So we're not really teaching them not how to have it. So we're against sex education, but we're also against terminating a pregnancy that's not wanted. Once again, contradictory. You can't have it both ways. Many times children are born, people are pregnant because they don't really know what it go, especially at a young age, when in 15 or 16 or 17, they don't know all the rules because they're not being taught in schools and their parents, as much as they say, it's my responsibility, they don't want to touch sex because of that's a, it's a taboo subject to them. We are still stuck in our puritanical roots that go back to the pilgrims. We are still a, a, a country that, that is very uncomfortable with sex. And yet, we're now... With the, uh, we don't want we 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 want we don't want kids to have sex, but then when they get pregnant, we we don't want them to to correct the mistake. Well, maybe if they were taught sex education, they wouldn't have made the mistake in the first place. There wouldn't be a need for abortion. If we were more realistic about sex education. That's why this is such a hot topic, and it's, and it's an irrational topic. And we will never agree on this. That's why in this case, as, as, as maybe as flawed law as, as Roe versus Wade may have been, maybe it was okay to bend the rules on this one because it's such an inflammatory topic that we will never agree on legislatively. Maybe it took a group that didn't have any accountability to just put this into place. Because sadly, there are not going to be a lot of kids running around in happy, loving families because of this. There's going to be a lot of horror stories about kids that are raised 
in families that they're not wanted in or families that they can't, that mothers aren't prepared emotionally or financially to handle, especially young kids who are, who get pregnant. And that responsibility falls on government then to support them. So you better be ready to pay more taxes because we're going to need more services. And not every adoptive family and not every foster family is great and loving. We've seen kids in foster care get abused and killed. We've seen adopted kids get abused and killed. It would be great if everything worked out and with puppies and rainbows, but let's deal with reality and the human element, and it doesn't work that way. Theoretically, yes, legally, this may have been the right thing to do to give it back to the states and let people vote on it. Theoretically, it would be great that every baby that is conceived should have a chance to live. I get it, but that is not the real world that we live in. And I'm afraid of the horror stories we're going to see, and that's and, and, and I've talked about this before too. We are not. We, sadly, this was the one time in our world that we, in our society, that we actually did something to prevent something bad. We never. We are not into prevention. We only react after bad things happen. And what's sad in this in this case is that sadly, for several years, maybe even decades, we are going to have to hear of horror stories until finally we are fed up. Look at the gun thing. Kids are getting killed in schools, and that's still not enough for us to change gun laws. So do you think if we hear a steady stories of, of, of children being abused and, and growing up and our crime rate raising because they are, the kids are, are born into families that, they, they, that they're, 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 the families can't, can't have no, they don't even want to raise them? That's, that's, that's our, our main reason of, of, uh, of our crime today. Kids that are not getting attention at home for whatever reason. They're going out in the streets and gangs are recruiting them. Are we going to have to go through 10 or 20 years of, of higher crime and hearing horror stories of kids being abused or killed? And then we're going to say, well, maybe we need to have abortion with some restrictions again. Do we have to go through this for the next 20 years? I don't have any answers to this. But all I can tell you is, if you're pro-life, you're going to see the ramifications of this in the next several years. And all of it's not going to be pretty. And if you're pro-choice, there are going to be ramifications of this. It's not going to be pretty. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to use this as a wake-up call? Are you going to are you going to get off your complacent world and and play the long game and get energized and get focused and try to change it? Or if you're pro-life, are you going to then embrace sex education in schools? Are you going to embrace social services? With more money for young women, single women perhaps, who don't have the financial means to raise a kid, are you going to be 
in favor of more social services, of bigger government to help these people that you help create because you force them to have a baby? Are we ready for the ramifications on both sides? Because this is going to have consequences. And we as a country and we as a society better get ready and deal with it in a realistic way. Something changed on June 24th, 2022. And now we're just going to have to see how we deal with that change. Whichever side of this issue you are on, you're going to have to start to think differently. Because there are going to be consequences on both sides. I hope, perhaps in an odd way, this decisive and divisive decision actually makes us united again. It's possible. But is it likely? And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 319. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. Thanks for listening. It's your choice.